What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another great episode of Prince's Movie Madness. We got a great topic here for you tonight, but before we get into it, I want to introduce my co-host, Metacore Mike, and our very special guest, the comic book guru known as Brian. Yo, what's up, everybody? How are you guys doing tonight? I'm doing good. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I can't wait to get this episode rolling. So tonight's topic is the life of Steven Spielberg. This man has given us some of the greatest, most amazing sci-fi style films. He has given us some beautiful historic films. Some, some films that have covered the dark side of history. And he has done it perfectly. We are here to talk about Steven Spielberg himself. Now, to get started, we're going to give you a rundown of his early life. Steven Allen Spielberg was born December 18, 1946, in Cincinnati, Ohio. His mother's name was Leah Posner, but changed to Adler. She lived from 1920 to 2017. And she was a restaurateur and a concert pianist. His father was known Arnold Spielberg. He was born 1917, passed away in 2020. He was an electrical engineer involved in the development of computers, which plays a very big part in Spielberg's later career and is very interesting, too, to start that off. He also has three younger sisters, Anne, Sue, and Nancy. By the time of 1952, they ended up moving to Haddon Township, which is in New Jersey. After that, his father was hired by RCA. From 1953 to 1957, he, uh, Spielberg had attended Hebrew school, taught by Rabbi Albert L. Lewitz. By 1957, the family moved to Phoenix, Arizona. He celebrated his 13th birthday, having a bar mitzvah ceremony. Now, for those of you who don't know what a bar mitzvah is, because I never knew this, is a religious event that celebrates when a Jewish boy reaches the age of maturity and becomes responsible for his own actions. The ceremony consists of a, of a number of traditional rituals, including the reading of the Torah, 
the giving of a speech, and the breaking of a glass. Now, you may be wondering why, why shattering glass? While it symbolizes the fragile, the fragility of relationship, it reminds us that we must treat our relationships with special care, which is very interesting to know that. I never knew that. By the time Spielberg was 12, he began getting interested in film, making his first home movie a train wreck involving his toy Lionel Trains. This is very interesting. This man used anything and everything to be able to make a great film, starting with little things around the house. Very interesting. Using his father's camera to make amateur films, and began taking the camera along on every scout trip. He was a Boy Scout. At the age of 13, he made a 40-minute war film titled Escape to Nowhere. Adding, adding his classmates to the cast, the film, in, the film won first prize in a statewide competition. While in high school, he made about 28 millimeter films. Now, eight millimeter has the best, as one of my favorite styles of filming. The camera use is great. It got that old style to it. It's perfect. Starting in 1961, and for the next three years, he wrote and directed his first independent film in 1963, a 140-minute science fiction adventure called Firelight called Firelight, which would later inspire Close Encounters of the Third Kind, another classic film by one of the greatest minds. The family, the film mainly began, the, fi the film mainly being funded by his father, the budget of $600 was shown at a local theater for one evening. In the summer of 64, he worked as an unpaid assistant at Universal Studios in the editorial department. This is where we start kicking off his slow pace up the hill, and it, it gets better and better. The family later moved to Saratoga, California, where he attended Saratoga High School, graduating in 1965. Now, sadly, one year after this, after he graduated high school, his parents decided to get a divorce, which is life. Sparrowberg then decided to move to L.A. to stay with his father while his mother and three sisters remain in Saratoga. With aspirations of being a filmmaker, Sparrowberg decided to apply to the University of Southern California's film school, but was turned down due to poor grades. He never really wasn't a fan of academics. He wasn't, he never did bad, but he never did good enough to get those grades to get him in to a higher education level. But don't let that fool you because that man turned gold, turned, turned gold from clay from coal, but was turned down due to bad grades. He then enrolled in California State University, Long Beach, where he became a brother of Theta Chi fraternity. In 1968, Universal gave Sparrowberg 
the opportunity to direct a short film for theatrical release. The 26-minute, 35-millimeter Amberlin Studio Vice President uh, Sidney Scheinberg was impressed by the award-winning film and offered Spielberg a seven-year directing contract in 1962. A year later, he dropped out of college and began and began directing television productions for Universal in 63. It made him the youngest director to be signed to a long-term plan with a major Hollywood studio. In 64, Spielberg returned to Long Beach. Returned to Long Beach. Now, I, I missed a lot of information, and I know my... My guest tonight has more information to add on to Steven Spielberg. So is there any facts that you got about Spielberg that I may have missed? There is one, but there's conflicting stories. There was an interview done on 60 Minutes about six or seven years ago, and it was with, with, with Francis Ford Coppola, one, another great director of all time, and he said... His students at one time at Southern Cal were Steven Spielberg, his best friend, George Lucas, and Brian De Palma, who did Scarface, did Carrie. So it's, and I tried to look it up and tried to get a little more information, and it's, it's wishy-washy. Okay. Well, now I got... I got his first professional job. Spielberg's first from this is from 1969 to 1974 and then on. So Spielberg's first professional job came when he was hired to direct one of the segments for the 1969 pilot of Night Gallery, which was written by Robert Serling and starring Joan Crawford. In 66, Crawford was speechless and then horrified at the thought of a young and inexperienced newcomer directing her. Spielberg attempted to impress his colleagues with fancy camera work, but executives had ordered him to shoot it quickly. His contributions were not well received. Thus, Spielberg took a short break from the studio. Now, in the early 70s, Spielberg tried to raise money for his own project, but was unsuccessful. He then learned, he then turned to writing screenplays with other writers and then directing TV shows. Titles he's worked on for TV include Marcus Welby, MD, The Name of the Game, Columbo, Owen Marshall, Counselor at Law, and The Psychiatrist. Now, with that being done, Universal had signed Spielberg to do a four-television film. The first was in 1971, called Duel, adapted from Richard Matheson's short story of the same name. It was about a psychotic tank driver, tank truck driver, who chases a terrified salesman, played by Dennis Weaver, down a highway. The execs, the execs being impressed with the film, 
they decided to promote to promote the film on television with mainly good reviews. Universal asked Spielberg to shoot more scenes so that Duel could be released to international markets. Several films followed soon after that. Now, with that said, let me ask you this, Brian. Mm-hmm. With knowing the history of Steven Spielberg, what is your take on some of his earlier stuff compared to what we have nowadays? Um, early on in his career, he did a lot of, uh, of course, he started off doing TV shows. Um, he also did an episode of Columbo. Um, a lot of his stuff early on was sci-fi. Of course, Close Encounters of a Third Kind. Um, but it was more sci-fi that he started off with. That's the way I see it. And later on, I'll have another comment on, on his other stuff. And some of the films that he's worked on, I, I wasn't able to gather much information, but one of them was came out in 1972. It's called Something Evil. And then Savage and 73 followed. But both of them had mixed reviews. That's I couldn't really find much information on those. But in 1974, Spielberg made his first debut in a theatrical film, the Sugarland Express. It was not a success, though. Spielberg blamed Universal for not being consistent with the marketing. Now we jump from 1975 to 1980. This is getting really good. This is some good information on one of the greatest minds of the time. Steven Spielberg, as you can see in the background, has given us some of the greatest films, which we will soon be touching up on. Producers Richard D. Zunick and David Brown took a chance with Spielberg and gave him the opportunity to direct one of the greatest ocean movies, even still to this day, that is still replicated in other shark movies. And that movie is known as Jaws, which came out 1975. It was a horror thriller based on Peter Benchley's novel of the same name. Now, here's a fact about Jaws. Spielberg almost drowned and escaped from being crushed by boats. Filming ran over 100 days past its scheduled date. Universal ended up... Universal tried... Oh, my God. Sorry, I can't speak. Universal threatened to cancel production. Even while the film wasn't expecting to do well, it did better than, than they imagined, making $470 million worldwide. That's very interesting right there. And for back then, that was very well done. That was that a lot was of money very, back very in that time. A lot of money. You got to think, back in, 70, back in the 70s, it was it was cheap to live, but the price of everything was you made just enough to survive, really. And that was a perfect time for him to be making a film like that. And I know at the time a lot of people after after they watched that film once, 
not a lot of people wanted to go back into the water. Still to this day, that movie is still holds fear for a lot of people. And it's very interesting knowing that. Like when I go to the beach, I'm like, it would be nice to go with that water. But at the same time, I don't want Jaws coming up and bite me in the butt. Yeah, but you got to think, you have all these like oceanographers and everything like that trying to prove that sharks aren't trying to come after human beings. Like when they see us paddling out on a surfboard or anything, yeah, we look like what they eat. So that's where most of the attacks come from. So exactly. The movie came out, you know, there was a huge, I guess you can call it shark hunt. Like people were hunting down sharks because of this movie. And over the years of watching, you know, Shark Week and everything, we actually got highly educated on the fact that sharks aren't coming after humans. Shark attacks are mistakenly done because we look like what they eat, depending on what we wear or what we look like being on like a paddleboard or something. And it's funny that you bring that up because I've I found some interesting ridiculously facts. And this this way here is common sense. But you cannot punch a shock in the nose because we as people cannot gather that force because it's underwater. So that we can't do. But the one thing we can do if we were ever attacked by a shock, grab its gills and tug on them. That shock will, will unleash itself from you faster than anything because that's what it needs to breathe. And a shock... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that a shark cannot swim backwards. They got to keep swimming in order to breathe so the water can flow through their gills, if I'm saying that correctly. But there's a lot of the interesting facts. And what, what my producer brought up was sharks, was how interesting it is with Shark Week. Shark Week is actually coming up. So watch out for that. I believe it's this month or next month, I believe it is. But... Shock Week is so awesome with some great information. If you're ever curious on that, watch Shock Week every year around this time or September. Now, on Discovery. on Discovery, thank you. Now, back to the show. It set a domestic box office record leading to what the press described as Jaws Mania, making Spielberg a household name. Damn, thank God for Jaws making Spielberg a household name. Before, like, one question, one thing for Prince. Shark yep. Week happened July 23rd. July 23rd. Oh, so Shark okay. Week, Shark yeah, Week's already happened. Oh. I remember. Yeah, it's already happened. They do, they do, Um, I believe that now, since of the popularity of it, they do do two Shark Weeks in the year. They do it in July, and then they'll do it again, I believe, in, uh, in November or December. They do a second. Oh, okay. I uh, now now. Okay, perfect. But, so, uh, so I didn't miss it then. But you can always go back and watch it on Max. Perfect. So July twenty third, the week of July twenty third was the first one. Okay. They're gonna they they in the past uh the past two years they brought a second week into it um in I think November or December like. Between November and January-ish, they've done a second Shark Week. So you didn't miss the second viewing, but you've seen, uh, you missed the first one in July. Okay. Thank you for that. 
<laughs> Turning down an offer to make Jaws 2, he then teamed up with Richard Dreyfuss again to make a film about UFOs, calling it Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which came out 1977. Let me tell you, this film was amazing. During the filming, Spielberg used 65mm film, which gave the best picture quality and a new and a, uh, and a new live action recording system so that the recordings can later be duplicated, which is awesome. Spielberg received his first Best Director nomination from the Academy Awards. Now, here's some facts about Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Earning six more nominations, winning Best Best Cinematography and Best Sound Effects Editing, a special edition version of the film featuring both shortened and newly added scenes, which was released in 1980. Oof. In 1979, he made his next film about Californians preparing for a Japanese invasion after the attack on Pearl Harbor. A big budget comedy, Spielberg feeling self-conscious about doing comedy as he had no prior experience in the genre. However, he was keen on tackling a light-hearted theme. And he knows how to handle himself behind the camera. If you've watched any of his movies with certain subjects, he knows how to give us the right information while juggling on that line. He doesn't cross it, but he gets so close to it where we get the proper information without it being too severe. And he's known really well for doing that. He's given us some of the greatest films. We've been talking about some of the best films that he's been able to give us. So with Universal and Columbia to co-finance the film, it grossed over $92.4 million worldwide upon release. Ooh, $92.4 million. That man was set due to just that film alone. Oh. Now, from 1981 to 1981 to 1990, after a brief setback in 91, Spielberg came back with Hook about a middle-aged Peter Pan, starring one of the goats himself, Robin Williams, who returns to Neverland during the filming, co-stars Dustin Hoffman and Julia Roberts clashed on set due to their personalities. Spielberg later told 60 Minutes that he will never work with Roberts again. The film made $300 million worldwide on a budget of $70 million. And to talk about that film, let me tell you, it's, it shocks me knowing that Spielberg didn't care for Julie Roberts. Because when I watched a Julie Roberts film, for the most part, I have fun. I think, I think she's a very great actress. And her emotion level is very high to the point where it does drag you in. But for me personally, it doesn't overdo it, doesn't overkill it. So I'd say she's a phenomenal actress, and it kind of surprises me knowing that she classed with Steven Spielberg and Dustin Hoffman. Both, every actor in this film 
gave it their all. But the one that stole the show always, still to this day, is Robin Williams. That man can do any style of film, no matter what. No matter what the script is in front of him, he knocks it out of the park every time. The film made on a... In 1993, Spielberg served as an executive producer for the NBC science fiction series called Sequest DSV. The show was not a hit, sadly. Spielberg and he also, and he also reunited with Rob, uh, the guy from Jaws. Richard uh, Dreyfus. No. Oh, Rob Schneider. Yes. He Rob Schneider. I mean, Rory Snyder or something like that. Rory Snyder, I believe it is. He re reunited with him. That man, yeah, let me tell you, that that's another, uh, that's an underrated actor for me, honestly. Very underrated. Spielberg returned to adventure films in 1993, giving us Jurassic Park, based on the novel of the same name, which was written by Michael Crichton, and a screenplay by the latter and develop and and David Cope. The film at the time was the highest grossing film of that of that era, of that time, and won three Academy Awards. The film's domestic dominance during its theatrical run, as well as Spielberg's $250 million salary, made him self-conscious on his own success. Now also, in 1993, Spielberg gave us the amazing film, one of his greatest films even still to this day, Schindler's List, which about, which it's about Oscar Schindler, a businessman who helped save 1,100 Jews from the Holocaust. Now, the reason why this is important is because Spielberg is Jewish. His family comes from... Russia and Poland, and I believe Hungary. I believe so. So, Schindler's List was based on a novel written by an Australian novelist named Thomas Kenley. Novel titled Schindler's Ark. That's what the title of the novel was, Schindler's Ark. Spielberg waited 10 years to make this film as he didn't feel mature enough. He wanted to embrace his heritage. And after the birth of his son, Max, he said that it greatly affected him, stating that a spirit began to ignite in me and I became a Jewish dad. Well, that right there, knowing his earlier life, knowing that he wasn't quite fond of being Jewish, you know, to having the son, the birth of his son, Max, which gave him that fired up spirit and being proud of his heritage. That, that right there is the most beautiful thing in a, in a sad, in a, in a sad world. You know, you, you, you begin to not like your heritage, your background, but it takes the birth of your son or daughter to bring that to the forefront and light a fire up inside you and be proud of who you are. That right there was perfect. Now, 
here's some more great stuff, which is very interesting. While still editing Jurassic Park, filming for Schindler's List began on March 1st, 1993 in Poland. To deal with filming, because filming was, was so rough on him at the time, he brought his wife and kids with him. While Schindler's List had great praise, others thought it was less and less less great. Less entertaining. Um, oh man, I I messed up my notes here. Yeah, you missed a big chunk of. Uh, yes, stuff. I am. I just noticed that. So touch up on what I'm missing on, please. You bypass E.T. No, let's talk about Schindler's List real quick. Oh, okay. Um, here's another little fact that a lot of people don't realize. Uh, at the end of Schindler's List, the remaining people that survived the Holocaust, the older generation, actually were in the film where they went to, Schindler, to Schindler's uh, gravesite and put a stone out of respect, thanking him for what he had done for them. And it was just, it was, you could have a grandparent and then a parent and then grandkids that were also in it, which I thought was, was, was very well done. Um, and also during the filming, Spielberg was not a fan of smoking. And as you remember in the film, Liam Neeson was a heavy smoker. Yes, he, he was. To, and, and he tried to tell him how to smoke when he blew the, the, the smoke out of his mouth. Okay. So I, watched I, never, the, yep. I watched the interview the other night with, uh, with Liam Neeson, and he talked about that. And he said uh, Spielberg tried to tell him how to smoke, and I thought it was funny. Now, let me ask you this. What year did did he start filming E.T.? Do we remember? Um, I'm trying to remember. I think 1980. It was 1982. 19, yep, 1982, starring a young Drew Barrymore, Henry Thomas as Elliot, Robert McNaughton as Michael, and Dee Wallace as their mother. This is a fantastic film. It tells the story of Elliot, a boy who befriends an extraterrestrial dubbed E.T., who is left behind on Earth along with his friends and family. Elliot must save him and bring him back to the ship so that way he can go back home. E.T. phone home. One of my favorite films. So filming for E.T. started in September and it filmed until December of 1981. And it budgeted it came out at $10.5 How much? It was a budget of $10.5 million. Ooh. With, with, with Steven Spielberg, he's, he's got some great high expensive films and there's, there's a reason why he's been given this much leeway with all the money he's been able to do have is because of he secured himself as one of the biggest names in Hollywood. And he's, when you hear the name Steven Spielberg, that's all you need to know. You might want to know the name of the movie, 
but you hear the name Steven Spielberg along with coming out with a new film, you're already like, oh, here's my money, especially if you're into the style of filming that he has and what he does with films. The whole sci-fi category is just fantastic. And with him being behind the camera, you know you're bound to have a solid film. Schindler's lit, uh, Spielberg, wait, got that, while still in. With the success of the film, Spielberg used profits to start his foundation, a nonprofit organization that archives testimony of Holocaust survivors. Schindler's List won several, seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Spielberg's first as Best Director. It also won seven BAFTAs and three Golden Globes. According to the American Film Institute, Schindler's List is one of the best 100 American films ever made. Now, this right here is... This, his life has been very interesting. It truly has. He's given us some of the greatest movies, some of the best stories with some of the greatest characters that we've ever known. Some of my favorite characters that he's given us was, um, help me out here, Brian. What's what's the shock on his name? And and Jaws. Oh, that I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, what name are you looking for? The the guy the shark hunter for Jaws. So the guy that uh, helps the that helps out the um, helps out Brody. Yep. All right. Oh wait, wait. Go ahead. Sorry, I think I got his name. I think it's Quint. Yes, it is, because it was in an episode of The Flash. Sorry. Yes. Yes, it's Quint. That's what it is. Okay. That man, the way he performed in that movie was awesome. Seeing seen those ways that he talked to, talked to Roy, and it was just fascinating. And Richard Dreyfuss did a great job as his character, as Matt Hooper. He did a fantastic job. And Roy Schneider as Martin Brody as the sheriff, he protected the he protected that area. It was it was the mayor that didn't want to shut down because the mayor knew that if they shut down the beach, there's no more money coming in. But if you don't shut the beach down, then you're bound to have nobody ever coming to your town. It was the point of Martin wanting to get rid of this shock by any means necessary and causing nothing but, but safety for the townspeople while the mayor just cared about getting his pockets fat. That just comes to show you how crazy some people are. So it, people was their, it was their 4th of July weekend. It was their biggest time of the year, and that's when all the beachgoers were there. So that's when he found it as their biggest um, money-making time of the year. Correct. And that's why he didn't want to shut down. Um, because of it being a small town and it was more of a, a tourist 
destination. Uh, that's why he was so worried about shutting down. Now we've seen some of the greatest scenes from this movie, and one of my one of my personal favorite scenes from this film was was at the end. Roy Schneider with the with the gun hanging on the sinking boat, and the shark just pops his head up, and then I forget the line that he says, but he says I think he says smile. Smile, motherfucker, or something like that, and then he shoots it, and then you see the shot going up, and the Jaws character was named Bruce, and you could see if you Google any photos of behind the scenes, there's one specific photo, I believe it's where, I believe it was Steven Spielberg sitting in the mouth of Jaws, I believe yes. that was one of the photos, and. I, I love that photo. I love how it looks. It's just so interesting. Seeing the length and the build of this shark was amazing. They had they had a tough time building the shark and having it in the water. There's there was tech issues with the shark. Uh, you only I believe you only get the shark on camera for full twenty five minutes altogether. I believe or something like that. They couldn't really do too much with the shark, so it was more based on the mental fear of the shark being in the water more than just showing the shark off completely. Now, when you watch shark movies nowadays, you see more of the shark. You got a little bit of the mental fear to it, but it's more like little glimpses here and there with some sharks jumping up in the background or whatever, grabbing their food and eating it. It's just very fascinating. So... The way this film was created compared to any other any other any other shock film was perfect, just based on the mental fear that you had of walking into the water, especially after seeing a movie like Jaws, because you know, it, God forbid, it's you're not really gonna run into a shock unless you're looking for one. But nine times out of ten, you know, it's not like the movie. It's just more or less the fear in the back of your mind that's causing that mindset of like, oh, if I go out there, I'm going to get in by sharks. No, not really. You might get in by seaweed under there, but you're not going to, you're not going to get eaten by a 20 foot shark. God forbid. You got better luck winning the lottery than running into a 20 footer. Still would have surprised me because there's been sightings all over New England with sharks so it's 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 real, of course, but at the same time, it's very unlikely. Now, on to one of my personal favorite segments. We are gonna do. I'm gonna hand the mic over to Brian. He's gonna do his top five films right now real real quick before we get into the top five you do have some uh comments. Oh. okay uh, uh they're not so much questions they're just uh comments throughout the uh the comment section um jamie commented that his favorite movie that was produced by spielberg was back to the future and his favorite movie directed 
by Spielberg was War of the Worlds. If you guys want to comment on those two movies. War uh, of the Worlds was a very fantastic film starring one of the greatest actors of our time, Tom Cruise, and Dakota Fanning. Let me tell you, watching Dakota Fanning at that young of an age, knowing what she was able to give us as a character was fantastic. She gave the right amount of fear of not knowing what's going to happen. And you hear her voice in some of the scenes of how terrified she was. And then seeing Tom Cruise being able to react to that to the best of his ability was fantastic. That film was very entertaining. I just thought the ending was kind of was kind of mid for a movie like War of the Worlds. But it also was a remake. Yes, of the nineteen sixties classic, right? Mm-hmm. Now, what was the other one? The other movie was Back to the Future. He was the Back, uh, executive producer. Now, Back to the Future was another great film. Martin, I mean, Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd did a bang-up job. It was very interesting to see what the thought process was behind this film. Going back to the 50s was highly entertaining. Him seeing his parents, realizing if he doesn't get his parents together, that not only... Well, he ceased to exist, but his whole family will cease to exist. All because, all because, if you think about it, it's all because Christopher Lloyd ripped those people off, gave them fake stuff over the stuff that they were really trying to get. And I thought it was funny. So that's how all this started. He went back to 1950, mainly because of a mistake that was made by Christopher Lloyd's character, which was Emmett Brown, which was a fantastic character. And his way of thinking for the film was awesome. It was interesting. The 80s was very trippy for me when it comes to movies. Brian, what's your take? Um, as far as Back to the Future with Spielberg as executive producer, I thought he did an outstanding job. Um, and I, when I was talking to Prince yesterday about as far as Spielberg as executive producer, he's got over 100 TV shows. Uh, that that's off the top of my head that I could think of. Um, but Back to the Future, it was a great film. There's the only one I didn't care for was the last one. It it it, it just didn't do it for me. I liked see now with the last one. What I found interesting about the last one is there's one scene in that film where Michael J. Fox actually got hurt. And if you guys are familiar with the with the third one, it's the scene where where he's being hanged and and he actually got hurt by that the rope got too tight around his neck couldn't breathe for like a few minutes or something like that so it's very interesting knowing what these actors go through and what they experience whether it's a small small mistake or a big one like that but those two films were very great and I also enjoyed Back to the Future also because it has one of my favorite 80s bands in it, and that's Huey Lewis in the news. We also had a very com- be- Go ahead. Uh, he, he was at the very beginning. He was one of the judges for the talent show. We also had a comment by user named SnipeySnipes24 said that his favorite movie produced by Spielberg was Jurassic Park. 
that was another classic film of of my of my uh, childhood. Seeing the seeing the style of how the dinosaurs were created. I never I never read the book. I never knew about the book. I read now, the book. many people that know me know I'm more of a visualized type of guy. And let me tell you, this this movie was fantastic. One of the greatest scenes in this film was when the kids are in the truck and you see the camera slowly shaking and you hear the loud thump and then it starts getting closer and then the then the dinosaur lowers his head by the window and he yells or how you know that that was a very that was awesome i enjoyed that i felt that spielberg always knows how to handle perfect angles on the film on any type of film and he just did this with a banger he gave us some great films as as kids that grew up in that decade and it was filmed in hawaii in Kauai. because uh i worked i worked on a cruise ship and they did a tour of of films that had been filmed in hawaii and they showed us where it was and it was also the same place where uh, the TV show Lost was filmed, too. Never knew that. Yeah, they also shot... Um, they also shot... Um, this, um, some of the second Jurassic World movie there, as well. Because they went back to where the original running scene was in the first movie. With the... Uh, basically, the running with the dinosaurs when, uh, mm-hmm. when they were starting to try and make their way back. Funny little story about this. 1993, I was uh, I was born in 86, so I was oh my god, seven years feel, old. You made me feel so old. I was seven years old when this movie came out, and uh, I was huge into dinosaurs. Huge, still into this day. Love dinosaurs at 37 years old. Um, and I was begging, begging, begging my parents go see this movie and they felt like it was too scary of a movie to go see so when it came out on VHS my uh, my my biological father and my mom were divorced split my biological father went and rented it for me brought it to me and then I watched it without my mom and my stepdad knowing <laughs> it wasn't scary at all obviously loved it but funny little story about that movie seven years old when it came out and I pretty much had to sneak to watch it when it came out on the VHS. So, let, me you, watch it let, me you, let me ask you. Let me ask this: What was your favorite scene from that movie? Oh man, um, probably the most iconic scene was towards the end when they were inside the main hub, and you seen the banner coming down. The reason why that was my favorite scene was it was because the it was the very first fight scene between dinosaurs in this series because it was between T-Rex and the Velociraptors and growing up as a kid reading all the dinosaur books and everything you always seen the still frame fight scenes between the Triceratops and the T-Rex mm-hmm. it was kind of new to see it's very fascinating to the, the, the life of dinosaurs seeing how seeing the intricate details on their faces, seeing seeing the backstory of the of the park itself, 
having the having some of the greatest actors of that time to come into the into work with Steven Spielberg. I mean, by that time, Spielberg had had built a decent name for himself, big enough to where he could get there and anybody to work with him. And he's 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 had a great career, giving us some of the greatest stuff, even still today. All right, guys. So we, we want to get into our uh, favorite movies. Top fives here. Yep. I'm gonna, uh, I will start. My number five is The Color Purple. It was nominated for Best Director. He didn't get it for that one. It had Whoopi Goldberg. It had a very, very young Oprah Winfrey and Danny Glover. Um, I really enjoyed it, and I read the book. And the book was a lot more graphic than the film was at certain parts of, of the movie. And Spielberg didn't feel comfortable doing certain parts that were in the book be put into the movie. Um, number four, it's a trilogy. And that's Indiana Jones. One, two, and three. Not not the, the other two, which were pure garbage. Um it was very well done. And then when he did, when he had Sean Connery, I loved it even more in the, in the last crusade. Um, number three is close encounters of a third kind science fiction. Enough said, um, Schindler's list is my number two. And I just, the other night went and rewatched it again. And I did get a little emotional. I'm not afraid. I cried. Got a little tears. I'm not afraid to admit it. And it was very well done. And I'm a, I'm a big time Liam Neeson fan. It happens. No, it happens. Yes. We're allowed to. We're human. And number one, this is just my, my opinion, is Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. That's, I read the book. Um, that was a very well done cast. The filming of it was very well done. Uh, people also tend to forget Samuel Jackson was in that film. Yep. Yeah, I almost forgot about that. He was in the control room. Uh-huh. Hang on to your butts as he's smoking a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> so th those, th those are mine. So I'll go, I'll go into mine. Um Number five has to be the Lost World Jurassic Park. Um, because you watch the first one, and we get the nice little tease, very few camera, very, very few on screens with the T-Rex. But the Lost World, we ended up not getting one, not getting two, but we got three T-Rexes. We got right. the mother and the father, and we got the baby. And for that story of that movie to be focused around the T-Rex, not only on the island, but in the city of San Diego, was just awesome. And the chase scene with the car was just phenomenal. Just to get it back to the boat, to send it back to the island, was great. And not only that, we got introduced to so many different breeds of dinosaurs, and that... I feel like that was the movie that truly introduced us 
to the series because if you go back and watch the first movie, we got the Velociraptor, we got the T-Rex, and then we got the tri- the dying Triceratops. And then the Brachiosauruses. That was it. And the, and the running dinosaur. We got five breeds. In the second movie, I believe we got 20 different breeds of dinosaurs introduced to us, which opened up the book to this series. Number four, one of not only my thoughts of one of the best war movies ever made, but one of my favorite war movies ever made, Saving Private Ryan. In my eyes, one of the greatest stories, and, and I love history stuff. I am a history buff, and I think this was one of the best movies that surrounded any movie ever made about World War II. Great movie, great story. Um, and Tom Hanks, phenomenal, phenomenal role in that Phenomenal movie. cast. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Number three, E.T. Um, E.T., watching that movie up until that point, and I watched this movie very middle of my life-ish. I'm talking like teenage years. Never, ever believed, never believed in Aliens, Extraterrestrials until I watched that movie. Crazy enough, it took that movie to get me to believe in the possibilities of a life outside of Earth. Number two, and a lot of people that know me personally would be surprised at this being my number two because of it being my favorite franchise, but number two is Jurassic Park. Um, again, like I said, we got introduced to maybe five different breeds of dinosaurs, I, I and this was just the introduction of there being parks. I don't think it was so much the introduction of the full story, it was just the introduction of there's parks out there with dinosaurs on them. And number one, Jaws. Jaws was amazingly done for the time it was made. You know, you're, you're thinking a movie that was made back in 1981, where we were just starting to get introduced to special effects to the fullest. And yeah, they tried to make Jaws out to being like this Megalodon. And like today, we're getting, you know, coming out soon, Meg 2. I you know, this they, weekend. It, yeah. They made they made Jaws out like he was a megalodon, but no, he was just this 13, 14 foot great white shark that just so happened to be going after humans that was in the water. At that time, that was supposed to freak us out to keep us out of the water. So that movie was so well done to scare us enough to stay out of something as simple as the water. Hell, even people were scared to take a bath because they were scared of a shark was gonna come up and grab them. That was my top five. Now, my top... Let me... One thing I want to say, I've actually... And it's for personal reasons, I've never seen Saving Private Ryan. Great movie. I've never seen any military war movie at all. I can't. Oh, that's right. I apologize. No, 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 no. I've read about it. I've read all about it. No. But I've never, I've never seen any war movie. But I respect, I re- you have a very good list. I was very impressed. And with your knowledge of dinosaurs, that's... Very uh, interesting, really. All right, Prince, if you want to get into your top five before we close things out here tonight. Now, my top five, number five, is going to be Close Encounters 
of the third kind. Number four is going to be Ready Player One. Number three is going to be number. Oh, sorry three. about that. Okay, your number three. Uh, three. Number three is going to be Ready Player One. Number, number two. Was, your, your number four was Ready Player One. Or was that on your oh. number three? You missed number three. Uh, Schindler's List, and hold on, I, I got so confused on everything, my my phone just so threw me off, I apologize guys. Five, your number five was Close Encounters of the Third Kind, your number four, yep. Ready Player One. My number three is going to be Schindler's List. Next one is going to be Close Encounters, wait, oh my god, sorry guys, I'm getting so confused. <laughs> number two. Number two, number two is Schindler's List, and number one is Hook. Oi, that was a tongue twister. Very good list. We all have different, different tastes in Spielberg movies. Well, I mean, he had such a plethora of movies. I mean, it's hard to make a list like this. I mean, me and Prince earlier today, um, because of Prince's scheduling, we had to record a show for the 19th. So just a little bit of a broadcasting note, uh, Prince's Movie Madness will not be live on August 19th. The show will be a recorded show that me and Prince did earlier today. And the subject is about zombies. Um, very, very fun and great show that we did. Um, and that was the thing was our lists were different for that because there's so much out there in the zombie world to, to pick from. So when you and do it's, you expect almost everybody's to be different. Yeah. So, what kind of podcast would it be if we all had the same answers? Boring. Yeah. Boring. All right, guys. So before we close things out, just to let y'all know to head over to patreon.com slash city radio to check out some videos that you cannot see on the regular YouTube and Twitch channels. Uh, please make sure to check out to to watch Pain Dues on on. Um, I apologize. We are on a different thing here. I apologize. This was my fault, um, and I'm running the wrong thing. Um, make sure to check out Botch Spots and Chair Shots on Sunday evening, followed by the show that I am hosting and producing on the Table Spot. On Mondays, check out Pain Dues and Nerdy News is on Tuesdays. Um, you can find me um, at Metalcore Mike on. Uh, oh my gosh. Now I can't talk. Thanks, Prince. You're rubbing <laughs> off on me. You can check me out at Metalcore Mike on Instagram and um, TikTok. You can find me at Metalcore Mike Gaming on Twitch and find me at Metalcore Mike 86 on Snapchat. You can make sure to, to send that request button. I will follow you. You can check out exclusive videos that I post up for promotions and all that fun stuff. I also post pro uh, um, promotion videos on my TikTok and my Instagram. Uh, Brian, if you want to throw out where people can find you. Uh, you can find me on TikTok under comics, TV shows, films and sports you and can catch me 
you can catch me at King at Killing Joker two twelve Movie Madness nine twenty one thirteen both on TikTok. Hit me up on Snapchat. I can Prince four twenty. Ask me questions. Get to know me. Follow me. Follow everybody here. But until then, stay weird and stay unique. Yeah, buddy. Woo-hoo. Yeah, buddy.